Amen. How are we doing? All right. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Glad you're with us today in the season of Advent. Uh, we have uh, nine lessons and carols tonight, you heard, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, a little party to follow afterwards with a little raffle, uh, some themed baskets uh, in the raffle. All the funds will go to kind of support the Brazil trip, the mission trip over spring break. Uh, and one of the, the features of the theme baskets every year is, of course, the IU basket. And this year, uh, it will include uh, not just basketball tickets, but courtside row four tickets for the IU Arkansas game. So, you know, bring, bring your money for the raffle. Uh, hopefully that's that money changers in the temple too much or whatever. Um, we'll get rebuked tonight, maybe. Uh, no, but all that going to support the mission trip and, uh, and some good fun uh, will be had too. Uh, great opportunity tonight to bring friends as well. Uh, a lot of folks may not come to the church gathering in the morning, but a lot of people like Christmas and like Christmas carols. And so, uh, still not too late to seize the opportunity to invite people to, to come with you tonight to be a part of that. I uh, also want to say thank you to, to several of you who've already responded to the year-end gift and made some uh, above and beyond contributions to that. Uh, we are very grateful uh, for your generosity in that and I encourage the rest of you to continue to be praying about how God might lead you in that if, if He does. Um, and so uh, with that, we'll, we'll move on here into John chapter 1. It's Advent, right? Advent, which of course is the, comes from the Latin term for, for coming, uh, which is referring to, of course, Christ coming to us in Bethlehem, born as a baby that we celebrate at this time of year. Uh, and we remember that, but not only celebrating His first coming, but we also look forward to His second Advent, His second coming, when He will return again uh, to bring the fullness of His kingdom and renew and restore all things, which means that this is a season full of hope right? It's a season full of hope. And when I think about hope, I naturally think about Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes. Uh, like second year playing in the league. But, uh, but pretty much, I mean, I, he's got my vote. Uh, I'm in. Uh, if you don't know, I grew up in Kansas City, uh, Missouri. Not Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, most of Kansas City is in Missouri, just to clarify that. Uh, I don't like getting asked, are you from Kansas? No, I'm not from Kansas. We hate Kansas. Uh, that's, that's where I'm at. But, uh, but I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, which is where the football team is located. Uh, and, and I grew up a Chiefs fan. I've been a Chiefs fan my, my entire life. Uh, and by the way, today, friends, I believe we're all Chiefs fans. Are we not? They're playing the Patriots tonight or this afternoon. So, so I think we are all Chiefs fans today. For one day, we're, we're united. Uh, but, but being a Chiefs fan for most of my life has been a, a very dark and gloomy and dreadful experience. Uh, we haven't won a Super Bowl since the 1969 football season. Uh, if, I'm not great at math, uh, but that was Super Bowl four. This year will be Super Bowl 54. Uh, that's 50 years. 50 years since we've won a Super Bowl. Like, and if you think in terms of how many Super Bowls there have been, uh, it's kind of like the, the existence of Cubs fans, kind of, you know, in dog years, cat years, whatever, uh, you know, for football, uh, before the Cubs won the World Series recently, like what life used to be like for them. That's kind of like the Chiefs or the Cubs were, well, what the Cubs were of the NFL. I guess it's the Cleveland Indians now. So we're the Cleveland Indians of uh, Major League Baseball or the, the NFL. But 50 years. I'm only 44, by the way, which means I have never known my team to be Super Bowl champions. I've never had that delight. Uh, we hunger and crave for it. We're born to, to, 
thirst for that, uh, but it's yet to happen. Uh, not only that, but it's been like a 20, there was a 22-year uh, playoff win drought uh, from 1994 until uh, 2016. We did not win a single playoff game. We were in the playoffs a lot, actually, during that period of time. But every year was met with just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment and just devastation. So, so it's been rough. But then there was hope, which came in the form of Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes. All right, first season, 50 touchdown passes. We came uh, within a neutral zone infraction and maybe a coin toss after that uh, from making it to the Super Bowl last year. Like hopes uh, were high. Right, this year's been a little up and down. I'll admit we've had some injuries, including him. Uh, but uh, it feels like when you have Patrick Mahomes on your team, you always have hope. Right, uh, it's a different era of being a Chiefs fan. There's, there's always hope that maybe someday, maybe, just maybe, we will actually hoist the Lombardi Trophy. What a, what a joy that will be. But that sort of hope is absolutely nothing, nothing in comparison to the hope that John is kind of telling us about as he points us to the truth of, of the true light that, that's shining in the darkness. That's what we see in our text today. We're just looking at a couple verses from the first chapter of John's Gospel, John 1, 4, and 5. I invite you to turn there, page 886 on those Bibles on your row. Uh, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we do have some copies out at the connection table we'd love to give you as a gift today. Um, let's, let's look at John 1, 4 through 5. Uh, hear the Word of the Lord. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are grateful. Grateful for hope. Not, not hope like uh, I might hope for my team to win the Super Bowl someday, but a hope that is a sure bet, 100% certainty. The hope that we have and can have in Christ alone, the hope that He brings life and light in the midst of darkness, the hope that He sets us free from sin and death, the hope that in Him there is life forevermore, joy, hope. Lord, we pray that in this season where oftentimes it's meant to be about Jesus that we get so lost in parties and gift giving and all the entrapments that go with that, Lord. Help us to slow ourselves today and remember the hope that we have in Christ. May it shape our lives in every way, not just in this time, but every day and every time. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may have a seat. So as we, as we saw last week, these, these opening words in, in John's gospel here uh, are, are rich with meaning. Uh, John uh, is obviously deliberately echoing Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when he opens 
this gospel account with the words in the beginning, right? He, he's deliberate with that. He, he's meaning for us to, to be taken back to Genesis 1. And, and throughout these opening verses, John is intentionally using words uh, and expressions that come with depth of meaning and, and kind of multifaceted connection for his readers. We, we saw last week when Kyle was preaching how John's use of the word, right? The word logos in the Greek. It, it comes with multifaceted meaning and richness. Uh, it, 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 logos was a well-known term that Kyle shared with us last week. Used by Greek philosophers for describing the ancient principle that sort of undergirded everything. That the logos in the, the minds of the Greek philosophers uh, gave order, balance, meaning to the world, uh, not the force. Uh, we're not quite there yet. It's coming out in a few weeks. Uh, in other words, those ancient philosophers would say that the logos is the reason for life, the reason for the world, the reason for everything in it. And then John comes along and, and basically says, you're right, right? The logos is the reason for life, but the logos is not a principle. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. But there's also a sense with the reference to Genesis uh, so plain in, in the words in the beginning that, that John is also very plainly referencing the word that spoke everything into existence in Genesis chapter 1 at creation. Complexity of meaning referenced intentionally by John. And he does the same thing here in verses 4 and 5 with the word light. Uh, it's a word that comes with great depth of meaning, multifaceted meaning. And, and once again, it's, it's all about Jesus uh, and specifically the hope that we have in Him. Uh, here in these couple of verses, John is showing us two specific aspects of the light, the light of creation and the light of redemption. And in this, he's pointing us to the truth that he will more fully expound later in his gospel account that Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, the first aspect we see here is that the light of creation. That's what is in view uh, with the words of verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John has, with, with great intentionality, uh, in these first few verses, taken us back to Genesis 1. Jesus is the eternal word, he tells us, who was with God, not only at the beginning, but actually was with God before the beginning. Uh, because the Word was and is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, the eternal Word, the eternal Son of God. And as Christians, we worship one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in perfect union and relationship with one another for all of eternity, right? That's the doctrine of the Trinity, and it is the most essential doctrine of Christianity. If, if we are not Trinitarians, we are not Christians. Right? It's essential that we understand we worship one God who is three, right? Three who are one. One God who is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, that's why we cannot affirm Mormonism. Mormonism would teach that there that there's multiple gods, not just three gods, but many other gods too. Uh, in fact, you might even be able to become one. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we don't affirm Jehovah's Witnesses because Jehovah's Witnesses would say Jesus is not divine. Uh, he's basically uh, the archangel uh, Michael uh, who's come uh, in, in another form. Uh, we, we, don't affirm, we don't affirm modalism, right? Churches that would maybe call themselves Christian but, but use language about manifestations, uh, 
uh, of God, that God manifests himself as Father and then manifests himself as Son and then manifests himself as Spirit. That's, that's not Trinity. That's modalism. That's saying it's one God who just shapeshifts and changes his appearance. But the Bible is clear. God eternally exists as three distinct persons who are one. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. You see God creating, the Spirit hovering over the waters, and how does He create? He speaks everything into existence by His Word. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, present. Genesis chapter 1. At the birth of Christ, the, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and says, the Father is, is, is coming to you. He's called you. He's sending His Son. You're going to give birth to His Son. And how will this happen? The Spirit will overcome you. Right? The Father, the Son, the Spirit. Jesus' baptism. The Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit descends upon Him like a dove. Jesus the Son, there, anointed in those moments. The Father, Son, and the Spirit eternally exist. They're, they, they can't just, it can't just be shape-shifting. They're together a lot, working together in our salvation to accomplish it. We're Trinitarians. And John is pointing us back here to this moment of creation, telling us that this Word who was God was present and active in, at creation. He is the Word, the Logos, that spoke everything into existence. How does creation begin in Genesis 1? Well, this is what we see as God begins to create. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. John is plainly saying that Jesus is the Word that spoke everything into being, beginning with light. But it's not just John. That's the plain teaching of the Bible. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He says, referring to Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus Paul says, is the creator and sustainer of everything. Hebrews 1, 2. Uh, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the eternal son, the eternal word, who created everything, who spoke everything into existence. And so, as Kyle shared last week, when we ask ourselves questions like, why does the world exist? Why do I exist? The answer is Jesus. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe and everything that is in it. Which means at least a couple things, many things, but it means at least a couple things that we can grab a hold of today. It means first that Jesus is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over all. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1, 3. He's God. Jesus is God, the eternal word, the Son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead. God is sovereign. 
right? He's sovereign. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is therefore sovereign. He rules over all. Nothing exists, John tells us, Paul tells us, the Bible tells us, apart from Christ. He creates all things. He sustains all things. That means he's sovereign over every single breath that you take. Tied very closely to his being sovereign. Another thing, second thing that this means is that Jesus is the source of life. The world exists and has life because Jesus spoke it into existence. He's the sovereign source of life, the creator and sustainer of all things. Think about that for a moment. Every good thing, every person that you love, uh, the place here that we, we live in this beautiful place, surrounded with all sorts of wonderful places if you like to go hiking, get out in the woods, enjoy that sort of thing. The, the changing leaves that we just experienced through fall, fall so beautiful here. The mountains, we don't have mountains here, but most of us are able to travel places where we can see mountains or we can see an ocean. We can enjoy the summer sun. Every note of music, every delicious flavor of food, all of that exists because of Jesus. All of it. That means if you know Christ, there is never a day, no matter how hard or gloomy that day is, there is never a day that you can't honestly give Christ thanks for the good gifts that He has given you, that He's enabled you to enjoy. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is the first aspect of the light that we see here, the light of creation. But there's another aspect John is showing us, and that is the light of redemption. And that is what he's pointing to in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light. He's the source of life, not only in creation, but he's the source of life also in redemption. For both light and darkness, as John shares them, also intentionality here come with depth and complexity of meaning. There is a sense in which darkness is simply the opposite of light, right? Darkness is the absence of light. That's, that's true. And, and, and again, this understanding, that understanding of light would take us back to Genesis chapter 1. As God says, let there be light, right, at the creation we could say at that time more than any other, it would be appropriate to speak of the light shining in the darkness. But the biblical narrative doesn't begin and end with Genesis chapters 1 and 2. There's more to the story. There is a reality of another darkness that enters the story in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall. Where tempted by the serpent, our first parents chose to reject God, to reject His Word, and chose rather to follow their own desire to be like God and rebelled against God, severing their perfect relationship with their Creator, marring the creation, sentencing themselves to death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, that by their own merits they would be eternally separated from God. 
That is the other darkness that John has in view here, the darkness of sin and death. And there's a reality of darkness. But there's also a reality that ever since the fall, in our natural state, in our flesh, in our natural sinful desire, you and I prefer the darkness over the light. We prefer it. In your natural fleshly state, you follow your first parents in choosing darkness and seeking to elevate yourself to the place of God in your own life, to be the Lord of your own destiny, to rule over all, to be your sovereign Lord. You, you pursue that. You don't attain that. Right? Even, even though that results in disappointment and frustration, and at, at its very best, it, re, it results in momentary satisfaction, you and I, in our natural state, we continue to make that choice. In our flesh, that's what we choose. We choose darkness, even though it leaves us wanting. We choose it. But, but we also choose darkness for fear of being found out. We choose darkness because we think that in the darkness we can hide. And we won't be exposed. The light scares us. Because we fear that the exposure the light will bring will shame us. But you see, that fear comes from our failure to understand the true nature of the light. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. And He, yes, He exposes your sin. He exposes my sin. He exposes the emptiness of the false gods that we worship in place of Him. He exposes, exposes the emptiness of our pursuit to want to be God. He exposes your sin and its emptiness. Not to shame you, though, but to set you free. Jesus is the light shining in the darkness that exposes the emptiness of sin, but also illuminates the way of redemption, the way of being set free from sin and death, the, the, the way back to life and joy and hope, and the way is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who enters the world not to shame you, but to bear your shame. Who enters this world not to bury you in guilt, but, but to take your guilt upon His shoulders as He goes to the cross in your place. Jesus, the eternal Word, the Son of God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, enters the world to live the sinless life that you never could and to die the death that you deserve for your sins in your place, taking your guilt and your shame, absorbing it all. And giving to you instead his perfect record. His perfect righteousness that he covers you with. That becomes your righteousness. Enabling you to stand before a holy God. Accepted. Not only forgiven, but adopted. Welcomed into the family of God. Reconciling, reconciling you to, to God as his beloved child. That is what the light exposes not only your need for rescue, but the glory of all that His rescue of you means. The message of the gospel is not Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness telling you that you better get your act together or else. 
No, he is the light that exposes your sin. Yes. He exposes your desperate condition apart from him. That you are separated from God. That you are enslaved to sin. You are in desperate, desperate need of rescue. And you cannot accomplish it on your own. But he doesn't shine that light on you to shame you like some bully at school. He shines the light to expose your need and to illuminate the one way for you to have rescue and to experience redemption. He illuminates himself as the one who lives and dies and is raised in your place. That that by turning from your sin, turning from the darkness, and clinging to Jesus in faith, you might find certain rescue, sure hope, victory. He invites you not to hide in the dark, but to hide in Him and find mercy and grace, life and love. What hope this light shining in the darkness brings. And in all of this, John is pointing us to the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. He is the light shining in the darkness. He he tells us this because John knows that when you trust Jesus and you follow Him, you will not walk in darkness, but instead you will find life in Him. And he knows that because that's what Jesus said. And he quotes him in John chapter 8 saying that. That's what he's saying. And that's what he will continue to say throughout his gospel account. He tells us at the end of his gospel account that this is the whole reason why he's writing this. He says in John 20, verses 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. He's the source of life. Not only as the one who creates and sustains all things, but even more importantly, as you and I are concerned right now, Jesus is the source of life in redemption. In our redemption, in our rescue. He's the one who lived the life you could not live, who died the death that you deserve. He's the one who was raised displaying the truth that the darkness will never overcome the light. It cannot overcome his light. His victory is certain. Life, salvation are found in Christ alone. This is why Jesus came. This is why we have Christmas. This is the the whole meaning of it. This is what's so unique about John's gospel account in many ways. You know, Matthew and Luke Uh, You look at the opening chapters of Matthew and Luke's Gospels, they they give you a lot of the facts uh, about Jesus' coming, his birth. So much of the facts about Christmas. But John gives us the meaning of Christmas. He says, this is what it means. This is what it means. Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring life, to bring rescue and redemption. He came to reconcile you to God. How? Jesus was born to die. And in his death, there is life for you. That's the meaning of Christmas. God loved you so much that he sent his son to live and die and rise in your place. God loved you so much that the word that spoke everything into existence at creation was made flesh made fully human 
as well as fully God. To experience what you experience and to be without sin and yet to take your sin on his shoulders, to go to the cross in your place, that by his living and dying and rising, he might give you life in him. In all the, the busyness of, of parties and gift giving, in, in all of the, the pressure that, that so many of us feel to create these experiences of hope and, and joy, may we simply slow ourselves down enough to see the light shining in the darkness that supplies all the hope we've ever needed. And may you find your hope in Christ, not just now, not just in this season, but always may he be your hope. The Lord's Supper uh, is yet another opportunity to consider the light that is shining in the darkness and the, the glorious good news that the darkness has not overcome it. As we consider Christ's body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us, as we take of the bread and the cup, it exposes our sin and it exposes our need for rescue. And yet it also illuminates God's gracious provision of rescue through his son. We share in this meal, sharing in Christ's victory over sin and death, knowing that the darkness has not and will not overcome him. We share in this meal proclaiming Christ's victory over sin and darkness and death. And we share in this meal receiving the life that is found in him alone. Uh, believers, as we continue to worship today, you're invited to come forward to share in this meal. Uh, we take the meal here by breaking off, the, tearing off a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup. We offer juice and wine to take as your conscience leads. The wine is in the glasses marked with twine. Uh, if you're not a believer in Christ, this is a meal that's reserved for Christians. And so as, as believers are coming forward to share in this, uh, this, is a, this is an opportunity for you to take Christ in faith, to consider the light shining in the darkness that exposes your sin and your need for rescue, not to shame you, but to illuminate the path to rescue and salvation and life in Him. And so the invitation is open for you to take Him, to take Christ, to put your hope in Him, find your rescue. There'll be pastors and prayer responders here in the back of the room. We'd love to visit with you, pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. But let's continue to worship and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to gather together to enjoy your good gifts of grace, to enjoy the life that you bring. Lord, would you open our eyes to see the true wonder of, of the light shining in the darkness of what it means that, that Christ, you would come. You who create and sustain all things would make yourself, would humble yourself to become a man, to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us, that we might have the rescue that we need, that we might be reconciled again to you, God. Or would you help us to find our hope in you now and always? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.